It's good to be back with you again this morning, and we do trust and pray the Lord is with us as we gather together to worship, as we come for a specific purpose and a cause, uh, which is Christ Jesus. But I have something this morning that I want you to do. And maybe as old Baptists, that scares us a little bit because we've never been uh, interactive. But there is something that we all must do when we come together to worship the Lord. The minister has the most active part in physical activity. But in the sixth chapter of John, the apostles ask the Lord a particular question. In the 28th verse, then said they unto him, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? So there's a desire there, and if there's no desire, then there won't be any work done. But when we have that desire, there needs to be godly instruction on what to do with it. The born-again child of God has a godly desire to seek, to follow, to find uh, that which his soul desires. And so the apostles have asked the Lord, uh, uh, what, what shall we do? And the Lord answers the question. Then, or Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he has sent. So the work that I ask of you this morning is to believe on Jesus Christ. And that will give you peace and joy and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. And we will walk today, I trust, in the kingdom of God. I do want to go back to the thoughts of last evening. Turn, if you would, to Jeremiah chapter 31, and we'll use that as our diving board this morning for our uh, endeavors. For those that were not with us last evening, Uh, I uh, attempted to speak about the difference between the covenants given in the Old Testament and the New Testament covenant of grace. And we find that many folks try to understand the New Testament covenant based on the Old Testament covenant as though there is a stronger comparison between the two than there really is. The important points that I made last night, I trust, with all humility, were the following. In this Old Testament covenant that Jeremiah gives uh, versus the New Testament, and he says of the New Covenant in the thirty. Third verse of the 31st chapter. But this shall be the covenant that I will make 
with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Alright? We're going to go into the New Testament. And we're, hopefully this afternoon, uh, look at a couple of things that folks believe are a part of this New Covenant. But in its most Basic form, the Lord is telling us here, I'm going to do this, and you're not going to have to do this. Okay? An active role in the Lord's part, I'm going to do this, but a passive role in our part. So we are a part of this covenant simply as the recipients of the blessings of this relationship. And the Lord says, I will be unto you a God and you shall be unto me a people. So let's think about this covenant that we're in with God in terms of the relationship that's established by it. Our God. That's very personal. We are His people. That's very personal. And it is a relationship that established by God cannot be altered or changed by anything else. Jesus says that they shall all come to Me. The elect, the chosen of God are all participants in this relationship. Alright, let's uh, turn over to the book of Hebrews. And begin at chapter 8. We pointed out the fault of the first covenant. And, and the Lord says, in finding fault with them. But it's very important to understand that the first covenant was not given 
to make us heirs of grace. Remembering that Paul says by the, the shedding of uh, uh, bulls and sheep, that there is no forgiveness of sin. That's my version of a, a verse I just messed up. But the, the shedding of the blood of animals was not given for the perfecting of the saints. It was given that we might have a remembrance of sin. And Paul tells us that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. So the law was given to prepare us for the coming of Christ. And brethren, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, that ought to have been a celebration of the Hebrew people that surpassed any celebration that has ever been made. But you know what? We're at fault too because we should still be celebrating as much as life within us. As much as is possible to continue recognizing. But it seems like, well, the, the Lord has come. He died Multitude of folks didn't believe it. Multitude didn't understand it. The few that do, we ought to be happier about it. I uh, I love to watch people and 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 just sit and, and see how they do things. And um, my my wife has a particular favorite uh, Christian singing group doesn't mean we agree with everything they sing, but uh, she loves some of their songs. And so they happen to be performing uh, down around Montgomery. There's a field down there that once a year, uh, the folks in that area will have a big Christian conference and, and the singing groups will come. So we went, we, we went. And uh, you set up on this hill and, and there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people there and uh, they had all sorts of activities going on. You had the vendors making merchandise of things. And you had the singers on the back of an 18-wheeler truck bed. And uh, you had the tent over here to the left that uh, if you had not given your life to the Lord, you could go down to the tent and uh, be saved. And... Uh, and I'm just sitting there. We're wait. The singer we want happens to be the last one, and so we're sitting there. And I'm just watching people, and and folks are reacting to the music, and they're enjoying the music. And the the family in front of us, uh, seven or eight people, had their blankets spread out, and, and uh, the, the you could tell who the the father and the mother were, and the children. And, uh, the children went down to the tent. And uh, I don't know if Daddy said, y'all better go, or uh, they wanted to go, or whatever, but it seemed like they were down there for about 15, 20 minutes, and, and they came back, and and uh, the reaction of Dad, you know, there's only so much that life within us that we're able to do, but... 
when they came back, the 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 this what in their mind was the salvation of your children merited a high five. You know, high five, high five, high five. And and I am no better than they are. But brother, I am thankful to God that He has blessed us to understand some things. And I think the most biblical reaction that we can have at anything the Lord has done for us is just to fall flat on the ground in tears knowing that we do not deserve anything. Not that we don't deserve uh, uh, even a percent. We deserve nothing in what God has done for us. And when we come to the realization that Christ has done everything, there's nothing left for us to do. We, I mean, even the Lord's going to come back and get us out of the graves. We don't have to figure out how to get out of the graves. If that were even possible. There is nothing in the salvation of God's people within the scope of natural man that is even possible. Literally, there is a law against natural man doing anything spiritual. It's illegal. Meaning he cannot do it. Natural man cannot bear faith. Natural man cannot believe. Natural man cannot cry unto God, have mercy on me. When you find a child of God or an individual who's crying unto God, have mercy on me, you have found someone who is already born of the Spirit of God. You found somebody whom God has made to feel the burden of their sin upon them. And then, in such a, a heavy, weighty position to be, God has made us to rejoice in the weight of that, knowing that He's bearing the weight of that. Hebrews chapter 8. It's interesting, but but Paul, and I believe Paul wrote Hebrews. The Bible uh, does not attribute a name to the book. I, I think there's a purpose for that. I think if the Jews had known Paul had wrote Hebrews, they might not have read it. Uh, you know, you you take someone that you despise or even hate, and they come to you and say, listen, the, the bridge is out up there. You're going to go around this corner, slow down, stop. The bridge is out. Not only are we not going to listen to them, we're going to speed up when we drive around that corner. I'll show them. So Paul gives us a book where he doesn't particularly say that, you know, I'm the author of this, but, but I believe Paul wrote this. It begins the eighth chapter with a sum. Usually summations are held toward the end once you've said a bunch of stuff, but he's already said a bunch of stuff in the first seven chapters here. But in the eighth chapter, he begins by saying, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. 
Up to this point, uh, maybe, you know, this is like a subtotal. We're going to add some more to it in a few minutes. But uh, up to this point, this is the sum. And he says, we have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens, in the heavens. We have a high priest who is sitting at the right hand of the throne in heaven. This is joyous news for the child of God because he's no longer in the tomb. He has ascended to the very presence of God to sit at the right hand of God And on occasion, we know he stood up when they stoned Stephen. But he is at the right hand of God, making intercession for us in such that he is a constant reminder of the salvation brought and bestowed upon the children of God. A minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. I I, I have a litmus test for things that people tell me. Uh, It's not a hundred percent, but it's a good beginning place. It does your idea, your interpretation. Your understanding, does it give God all the glory? If it gives God all the glory, we can go a little bit further to see if it's in agreement with the Scriptures and other things that have to be in place. But if it doesn't give God all the glory, we're going to throw it out right now. There is no use or need to pursue an understanding or a teaching that does not give God all the glory. Which the Lord pitched and not man. Alright? We said last night that this this, uh, prophecy of Jeremiah, this is spoken of in the New Testament almost very closely word for word. And we go down to the uh, sixth verse. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come when the Lord, uh, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, which they continued not in my covenant. All right? Here is one distinct difference between the the Old Testament law service and this New Testament uh, salvation by grace. 
The labor required on people in the Old Covenant could break the covenant. One of the most important things in the Old Covenant was the circumcision of the male children. The Bible says that was a token of the covenant. That meant that represented the fulfilling of it. I remember on occasions where they failed to follow that. And they didn't follow that. Okay? In this new covenant of grace, God does everything that is required for the salvation of His people. There is nothing for you to break. And somebody says, well, you know, wait a minute. They're, they joined the church, but they haven't been in years. Uh, this person uh, has quit following the Lord. They no longer take up their cross daily. They're doing what they want to do. Uh, how does that affect the covenant? Not one little bit. It does not change the fact that if they are a born, uh, if they are an elect child of God, predestined before the foundation of the world, and born again, it does not change the outcome of the covenant. But brethren, it'll it'll bring you a lot of misery. It'll make you wish you hadn't fallen back or fallen short or ran off or done whatever it was that you did. But you are still a child of God. And so that one of those distinct differences between the two is that you can't break it. Alright, so the Apostle Paul brings up this, this new covenant. The chapter 9, he talks about some, some similarities, uh, some, some, uh, Types and shadows, some things that were brought forward. The old covenant was very literal. There were instruments of service. There was uh, um, there was an altar. There was uh, candlesticks and uh, different tools that had to be used uh, to slay the animals and to divide up the portions and different activities uh, that had to be carried out. And particular things were needed. Uh, you know, the Lord's covenant, we, we could go out under the tree this afternoon and preach the gospel and be in the kingdom of heaven just as much as we are in the house this morning. Uh, you can uh, worship the Lord at home if you need be. Now, I admonish you not to forsake the assembling of the, of the saints. Uh, but God forbid you, you break a leg or you uh, have some communicable disease. You need to stay home for a little while you can still feel the presence of God and you can still worship Him and God understands those physical limitations that we have. Uh, but uh, if we lose the pulpit, we still have church. We can still worship the Lord. Uh, if we lose our songbooks, we can still sing. Uh, if, we, if we can't find our Bible, I hope we can still preach uh, and the Lord will bless that. Uh, so the, the spiritual versus the literal, the physical things that were needed to carry out the covenant. Uh, what we have uh, or, uh, or what they had were types and shadows. And I tell folks, be very careful with types and shadows because a shadow can change shape depending on where the light's coming from. Um, you, can, you can see a short man and, and he can look very tall if the light's down there 
but if you see a very tall man looking very short, the light's up there. Uh, so be careful. Uh, the shadows don't always give you the best picture of the reality of what God has done. The true image is always the best. Uh, the real thing is always the best uh, because it is uh, what God has given. Okay. In the 10th chapter of Hebrews, and I, I, this one verse sums up the work of Jesus Christ uh, to me. In the 14th verse, the Apostle Paul says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Who are the sanctified? Well, what does that mean to be sanctified? It means to be set apart for a righteous and a holy purpose. Uh, we know that God sanctified a people in election. Uh, God looking down. And, and remember, God is not bound by time. That messes up our thinking sometimes. Uh, that to think God in, in, in this sort of linear line of existence well god's not god's everywhere all at once he's uh he was the same yesterday today and tomorrow the past the present the future and uh god is not bound by time the way we are he saw the end from the beginning before he even created man seeing and knowing what adam would do in the garden needing a, a redemptor to undo that or to, to restore us to this relationship with God. Uh, God knew that ahead of uh, Adam doing what he did. But we see here in the 10th chapter, uh, the sanctified. We are the sanctified. God has sanctified us. We said that. And then uh, Jesus Christ has sanctified us in his redemptive role. He has set us apart. And then we're sanctified by the Holy Ghost uh, in regenerations coming into our hearts and uh, giving us a new purpose and old things being passed away. Uh, but then the Bible also says sanctify yourself. And that's a different type of sanctification. We are sanctifying ourselves this morning by setting ourselves apart from anything outside of the, the building here that might draw our attention. The sanctification, uh, sanctifications of God are for the eternal life that is given to us. Those things are necessary and those things are complete. God never started anything uh, that the Holy Ghost didn't continue, that the Son of God didn't continue. Uh, and, you know, we get things, I don't know if there's any particular order there uh, in some things, but God never did part of a work where the rest of the Godhead failed to do what else was needed to be done. But the sanctification that we do, that's a a dedication or a devotion, that's a discipleship activity. Uh, we sanctify ourselves by taking up our cross and following the Lord. So we see that uh, He hath perfected, for by one offering, He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. We're talking about the offering of Jesus Christ, the work of God in salvation, for by one offering. That's all that Jesus made. Because that was all that's necessary. 
It's not necessary. I think about the lives of those Hebrew people uh, every morning having to get up and take some animal out of the pen, and, and not just some animal, but the best you had, uh, one without spot, one without blemish. And depending on what offering you were going to make, uh, uh, dictated which uh, type of animal you might carry. And if you were poor, you might carry a, a, a meal offering, which was literally called a meat offering, but it's like flour or grain, depending on what it was, or oil that might be poured upon uh, the altar. Uh, but every day, over and over and over, think about how much time went into that. I don't know what you all do for work but and what time you have to be there, but I suspect it's probably early. And uh, so just think about this. Tomorrow morning, when you get up, you, you've got to go out to the uh, to the barn and grab a couple of sheep, the best you got. And you got to go down. And, you know, we didn't invent standing in line. They, they didn't go down there and the priest was like, next, next, ready, we're ready for the next one. You had to go down there and stand in line and wait your turn. And can you imagine what that smelled like? Can you imagine how dirty that was? Because it was, you ever been to a slaughterhouse? I used to take help Grandpa take his hogs down to the slaughterhouse. You know, that there's a memory there that I'll always have. This is this was where the animals were slain, that the blood of the animal might be offered up as a sacrifice to God that would not take away their sins, but hopefully would form this memory in their mind that this is hard, this is tough. So that when Jesus comes and says, hey, no more sacrifices, I'm it. That is the rejoicing that we ought to have. There is no more sacrifice for sin. Jesus Christ is it. And it has been made upon the cross, the most cruel death, cursed death, cursed is every man that hangeth upon a tree, and God looked at that offering and said, I accept it. As payment in full for everyone to whom it is applied. And if that offering were for all the descendancy of Adam, they would all be saved. If that offering, whomever that offering is applied to, is acceptable unto God. So the very fact that somebody is cast away into an eternal uh, presence away from God, to, a, to a, a wretched place, to hell, that somebody's cast, that means that offering was not applied to them. Now you, you see how big a fight you're going to get when you share that with somebody that doesn't know what Christ has done. Or that Christ has the authority to do that. Okay? And again, Paul repeats, well, he says, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness for us, for that after he has said before, this is the covenant. 
that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. They're put away. They're remitted. They're gone. It is not necessary to offer again. The, the offering Christ made was sufficient for what it was given for. It covered everything, but it also covered everything perfectly. You know, there's two things, at least two things about that offering. It covered all the sins of the elect of God. But it covered them in such a way that they're no more there. You ever you ever paint something and and come back the next day and that old dirty spot that was under it sort of bled through? You know, they used to use whitewash. They didn't have the paint they have today. It's just sort of a a white liquid of some sort, but you know, just very poor at covering up things. The blood of Jesus Christ is perfect in, in not just covering them, and they're still under there somewhere, but in covering us, and the sin is gone. All right. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, now get this. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. You know, that takes work also. To hold fast the profession of our faith. When you came forward in whatever church you belong to, and you came forward and you asked the church to receive you as a member and to present yourselves uh, for baptism, I suspect the minister asked you some questions. I hope that he did. I always ask folks, well, do, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that He is your Savior? I've always gotten a yes. And then I said, are you repentant of your sins? Two things that were asked prior to baptism. If thou believest with all thine heart, then thou mayest repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Not that you might get remission of sins, but because you already have remission of sins. And then I say, is there anything you'd like to tell the church? Would you like to share your experience of grace? Most folks aren't very articulate when you get to that point. They just say, I just, I love the Lord. I want to be a part of the church. Sometimes, and I'm not saying they don't know what their experience is. We, we, we all have some different experiences. I never had what Saul of Tarsus had on the road to Damascus. And I suspect you probably have it either. But you have had some experience of grace with the Lord. 
And I would guess that all of our experiences of grace, even Saul's, we went from feeling this big to feeling about like that. You know, I'm not worthy to be here this morning. I'm not worthy to be a part of the kingdom of God. If he's blessed me to be one of his, I'm not worthy of that. I, I just like David want to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. I want to be a blessing to others to come in and out. I just want to uh, help keep the light shining. I want to uh, serve in the temple, maybe like Samuel did, to light the, the candles and keep them going uh, from time to time that others might see. Those are two humble places in the house of the Lord to be the one opening and closing the door for folks and one to keep the lights on. You made a profession of faith when you came before whatever congregation you stood before and said, I want to be a part of this church. But no matter how long ago that was, you've made a profession of faith this morning. You're getting up this morning and getting dressed and coming to the Lord's house is a profession of your love and devotion and desires toward God that you want to worship Him and see Him. Oh, sir, we would see Jesus. That we might be a little closer. Maybe like that poor sick woman. She, she, she just thought, if I could just touch the hem of His garment, if I could just, as he's passing by, just grab hold of some part of his clothing that, that's touched him. And what did Jesus say? I perceive virtue is gone from me. Well, you know, some folks will say, you know, is, is this Jesus' secretary? I need about 60 minutes with him on Tuesday. You know, can you clear his schedule for me? Brother, we ought to be clear in every day for Him. And, and just be honored if, you know, thank goodness God is such that He turns to us and talks to us face to face. Now we can boldly go under the throne of grace. Not like old Moses having to be hid in the rock as the Lord passed by and his face being so bright he had to cover it that others uh, wouldn't be able to see it. And he only saw the hinder part of the Lord. There were some amazing things when Jesus died upon the cross. Not only did the ground shake and, and the graves open and dead folks came out of the grave. You, you think that made the tabloids? I bet there was some gossip about that. Did you see Sue? I thought she died last week. We ought to tell people about the wondrous things we've seen. As long as we give the Lord all the credit for it. There was probably a lot of conversation at that. But one thing in particular, the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. You know the Holy of Holies, that's where the high priest went every year to offer sacrifice. And the uh, first sacrifice he'd offer for himself. If the Lord accepted that, then he could offer sacrifice for the people. If the Lord didn't accept it, then he couldn't offer a sacrifice for the people. He would, he would die. But he was the only one that could go in there. I'm sure everybody else was, well, you know, the ones that put it together and built it, they knew what that material, they knew what the Ark of the Covenant looked like. But after they finally built a, a temple, 
that was uh, in one place for a considerable period of time. People, I, I wonder what that mama told me about that ark when she saw it one day. But I, I wonder what it looks like. Nobody knew what it looked like anymore. We've been in the Holy of Holies. When Jesus died upon the cross, the curtain that separated that place where only the high priest and only God would commune was, was torn into two. It torn in twain. And importantly, the Bible tells us from top to bottom. The blessing of God coming down. And then all of a sudden, everybody that walked in there could see there's the Ark of the Covenant. There's where God abides and meets with us and takes, accepts the offering made by the high priest. No longer does the high priest, no longer does anyone have to go to the Lord on your behalf, and I, I pray that you do. I pray you're I hope you're praying for everybody. But you can go straight to the throne of grace and ask God to intercede on your behalf. Let us draw nigh. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. This sounds strange, but I hope you folks are, I hope you're some of the most provoking people the Lord has. You ever provoke somebody? Why do we always think that has to be bad? You know, I just provoke the daylights. I hope so. I hope you provoked him to do better than he's doing. I hope you provoked him to want to come to the house of the Lord next time. I hope when you get back to work next week that, that, that as much as you're able to and, and whatever setting you're in, you know, just provoke folks by the smile on your face. Well, why are you smiling? I'm telling you, the Lord was present Sunday. We, we had the blessings of God Saturday and Friday. That's provoking. See somebody smile when you're in a bad mood? That makes you just, you know, uh, it has an effect on you. That we might provoke one another into love and to good works. I want to go back after lunch to... I think the ninth chapter, and look at a couple of things there. If the Lord permit, would ask that you be in prayer for the remainder of this meeting this afternoon, tomorrow, and uh, for all of the Lord's churches wherever they assemble. There's other meetings going on this weekend. There are other places that the Lord's children are gathered together, and I, I would hope that tomorrow morning that. There would be a great number of God's children gathered together to worship God and to glorify Him. And let's be in prayer for them and for one another. I appreciate your time and attention this morning. Come ahead, brother.